Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode six. My name is Ryan Christoffel. You may know me as the person who likes to torment his co-host from time to time, uh, such as by making him use an iPad without letting him touch its touchscreen. <laughs> I mean, who would do something so cruel? Oh, apparently I would. Um, that co-host, of course, is the one and only Federico Vitici. Hello, Ryan. Finally, a good intro for yourself. Uh, this is the best one to date. You've finally been honest with our listeners. You've described yourself for who you are, the kind of person who would ask the co-host of an iPad show to use an iPad without touching the iPad. That's who you are. Um, I, I, I will admit that this is, I, I'd say this is the first one that's actually cruel. It, it's not that, you know, and maybe it's because you keep saying that I'm so cruel over and over and over again. And so it's being reinforced in my mind and it's making me more cruel. Uh, so ultimately, that would be your r- fault. Really, a, sure. Really a refreshing amount of honesty in this episode. Um, Ryan, it's the summer and I'm busy writing my iOS and iPadOS review. And I thought, you know, I want to switch it up a little. I want to try something different because I need a break. I need something fun. So instead of doing the challenge first, we're going to do a topic and we're going to talk about. Some of the little things, some of the other changes in iOS, uh, and specifically iPadOS 13, that we like or that we do not like, we'll see. Uh, just a collection of changes and thoughts and opinions. Um, why don't you go first, Ryan? Because I'm, I'm keen to ask you a few questions about this first item on your list. Yes, okay. So, like you said, we've, we've kind of done, in our series on iPadOS, we've done different apps. We've done, you know, big things like multi-window and changes to multitasking. And so today's a little bit of just a grab bag of different things. And looking at our list, some of them, I think most of them are things that we are enjoying. And there may be a few things where we share what we're not enjoying. Um, I know that you have some thoughts, according to our show notes document, in all caps, which usually I I take to not be a good thing, but I guess we'll find out. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I wanted to bring up is widgets on the home screen. Uh, This is something that had been rumored for a long time. We had heard rumors that there's going to be a redesigned home screen, whatever that meant, and putting widgets on the home screen seemed like a natural step forward. And that's what Apple did. So you can, in iPadOS... Uh, pin widgets to your home screen. iPadOS lets you right now pin two favorite widgets, which means that they are always going to live right there on your home screen to the left of the app grid, and they'll be visible all the time. Now, you can also view additional widgets if you kind of scroll up on those two pinned favorites, Mm -hmm. uh, and then it will show your full list of widgets that you can scroll through, um, and I, I've kind of had trouble keeping up with how long it shows that full list. Right. They seem to stay there for a little while, but then at some point it goes back to just your two end favorites. But uh, I've been enjoying this system, um, and in particular, the two apps that I've chosen to feature their widgets on my home screen are um, Timery, which is a time tracking app for Toggle, and uh, What I love about the widget is that it enables you to start timers. Um, That's something that I've grown used to doing for years with, you know, time tracking through Toggle. Uh, I used to do it with some shortcuts that you had created, Mm -hmm. and I would run those from the shortcuts widget. Well, with Timery's widget, you can still start and stop your different timers right there in the widget, 
But the great thing about Timery's widget that makes it so perfect for sitting there pinned on my home screen is that it will also show you a live count of how long your current timer has been running. So I get to see just with a glance at my home screen, okay, I have my you know club Mac Stories writing timer that's going, and it's been going for 35 minutes. Uh, so that, that's great information that I want to have. Um, so that combined with being able to see um, all my timers and start and stop them from there, uh, it's great. Uh, the second widget that I've chosen is the Up Next widget, which is uh, made by Apple. And it kind of combines a couple of different things, different um, aspects of apps like calendar, uh, reminders, uh, even the clock app. It will show you let's say if you have an upcoming alarm that's set really? that'll show in the I, yeah i didn't even know this <laughs> it, it does so there's there's definitely a lot that's appealing about the up next widget um it the the bad thing about it is that it really doesn't show much information and the i i typically keep it in the collapsed view but if you have it in the expanded view all that it really does is show you like a map that honestly i'm not sure if it i think maybe it's showing you the location of maybe an upcoming calendar event like that has a location attached to it or maybe it's showing your current location i'm really not sure i i've never understood what that bottom half of the up next widget does when it's expanded and so i always keep it collapsed um, I wish that Apple would change it to where the expanded view would just show, let's say, more reminders that are due soon, more calendar events that are coming up soon. Uh, as it is, it's still really useful for me to kind of show me what's the next thing on my agenda, what's the next reminder I have due, or what's the next calendar event, or you know, just a reminder that I have an alarm set. And so because it shows all those different types of information, uh, it's been great to keep pinned on my home screen. I should reconsider this widget, um, especially now that I'm using you know, reminders and calendar, uh, not just the services, but the actual apps full-time. I think it could be useful for me. Um, I also have Timery in my widgets, um, but it's in the second spot because the first spot is always shortcuts for me. Um, I alternate between having shortcuts in uh, minimized mode or in, in fully expanded mode, the widget. Um, my four... Um, when you have it in minimized mode, in compact mode, um, I have you only see four shortcuts on the iPad. And so my shortcuts are work, which is a menu that contains other work-related shortcuts, um, Apple frames, which is my shortcut to put screenshots into device frames, um, po pause home pods, which is um, a new you know series of actions that are new in shortcuts in iPadOS 13. Uh, it's basically three actions. Uh, that pause playback on all the HomePods around the house. It's a very simple toggle to make sure that if I need to mute audio quickly, I can do so with one tap from the widget. And I have um, another, the fourth shortcut uh, sets our light red and shuffles our favorite playlists, which is, uh, you know, the, it's the shortcut that I use all, every time I want to uh, relax with Sylvia, listen to some music, and I'm sort of unwind and at the end of the day. Um, I I'm getting used to shortcuts on the home screen. I kind of wish that it was they were that Apple went a little beyond just doing widgets. Um, it feels to me like 
just putting widgets was the most obvious answer to how do we rethink the iPad home screen. I would have loved to see something a little more daring, like, I don't know, put shortcuts on your home screen or put files and file preview previews on your home screen. Instead, we got widgets, which is fine, but they are, you know, you cannot even mix and match widgets with um, icons in the grid. So you have a fixed column on the left and it's not supported in portraits. So it's better than before and I like it, but I just wish they went a little, you know, they went the extra mile and allowed you to do a little more things with it. Still, it's a good change. It's a good change. I, I, I won't complain about it too much. Yeah. And for me personally, the, the only thing that I will complain about is, uh, and it was something I expected to change throughout the betas, but it hasn't so far. So I'll mention it, is that you can only pin two favorites to the home screen. Yeah. The two widgets, and it it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Maybe it's just because I use you know the large twelve point nine inch iPad Pro, but uh, it seems like I could easily fit one, maybe two more widgets right there to keep pinned all the time. Right now, it's just I've got this this blank space in the bottom left corner of my screen where you know nothing's there unless I manually decide to you know scroll up to view my other widgets. So it seems like an odd choice, but um, maybe maybe it'll change in a future beta i'm gonna pick uh, the new font related tools in ipad os 13 and ios 13 as a little probably i guess possibly for some people a little change little feature um it, it's comprised of different changes to the system so first of all you will be able at some point this fall to download them and buy fonts from the app store Apple says that some of the leading um, typeface design companies will be able to sell fonts on the App Store. And in theory, you should be able to go there, buy your fonts, and they will show up in, the, in, in settings where apps that use, they use the native font selection APIs, they will be able to let you to offer those fonts so that you can change fonts in, in a Word document or in any other Word processor and, or email message or that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't been able to test that yet because, of course, font companies cannot sell them on the App Store yet. Um, there's also, and I guess this is the main feature that I, that I would like to highlight, the fact that you will be able to buy fonts from the App Store does not preclude you from installing fonts, custom fonts on your device using the old way, which is utilities like any font that rely on installing um, certificates uh, that effectively load fonts onto the system by way of authorizing a certificate to be installed. Um, this has been this has been how you know folks have been able to use custom fonts on iOS for a long time. This method will still work in iPadOS 13. In fact, all of the fonts that I've previously installed with any font, they now show up under settings. I th I think it's settings general fonts. Yes, that is correct. Um, the, all of your certificate-based fonts will show up here. You will get a list of installed fonts, but not only that, because when you tap on a font, you actually get a full-on breakdown of which app provided the font. In this case, for me, it says any font. Uh, you will also be able to preview the individual typefaces that make up a font. So for example, I have New York, which is the new Apple serif font that I downloaded from the developer website. And I, when I go into settings, I can see regular and regular italic. And for each one, I get a full character preview 
and I can swipe through pages to see a standard lorem ipsum preview and also the uh, complete character set. So the first page is just um, the you know letters and numbers. But if you swipe to the last page, you will see accented letters and symbols and all, you know, um, stuff like the trademark symbol, for example, is in here. So the full character set on the last page. It's a really nice way to preview a font that you have installed. It's not as powerful as Fontbook on, in, on macOS, but I think it's an excellent upgrade from before where effectively you had no font preview features at all. Also, I should point out how in iPadOS 13 and iOS 13, apps that come with preloaded custom fonts will be able to offer those fonts to other apps on the system. So if for some reason, I don't know, you make a text editor that has a custom font and you want to allow other apps to use that custom font, you can make that available via a new API for other apps to use. So again, maybe not, not so many people will care about uh, easier font installation and preview tools and distribution, uh, but it's really important for me because I'm one of those people that I cannot type in my text editor other, uh, unless I have my, you know, my favorite font and my favorite size and all of that. All right, moving along, my next pick for a favorite feature is Apple has updated the share sheet in iPadOS. <laughs> let, let me get this out, okay. So I overall honestly really like the changes that Apple has made. I know that my co-host has some concerns, but uh, let, let me just run over real quick what I enjoy about the new share sheet. Uh, first of all, the top row, which has previously been dedicated solely to AirDrop uh, for sharing content via AirDrop, now will show suggestions of people that you might want to uh, message, for example, or AirDrop, um, or I don't know, maybe Federico, you can shed light on this. Will third-party apps be able to populate that top row in the future as well? Yes. Uh, there's a there's a tweet that I've seen from some Apple engineers. There's documentation. Uh, it's all based on, I think, the SiriKit messaging intents uh, API. So it should be possible. Okay, great. So in theory, in the future, uh, right now during the beta season, I've been seeing messages and airdrop suggestions um, and I do share a lot through those two methods, but uh, another app that I use a lot to share with is Slack. And so in theory, in the future, when Slack updates their app, uh, I could see, let's say, a sharing suggestion to share to a specific channel on a specific team or to a specific you know, DM uh, conversation that I have with someone. And, uh, and I just, I love those sharing suggestions. Um, we saw them first in Apple's Clips app, actually, a couple of years ago, but now they're being brought into the full iOS and iPadOS share sheet. And it just, it, it saves a tap or two. Um, it makes it really easy to get content from one place to another based on the things that you do regularly already. So I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a really, there's a really good, good point that I... Uh, I, I think it's a good point, at least. Um, the fact that all these you know, messaging-based features, um, if you think about it, if you're a developer and you make a third-party messaging app um, and you support the proper APIs, in iOS 13, you should be able to be included in the share sheet suggestions. 
you will receive support for announced messages with Siri, which is a new AirPods feature. Uh, you will be integrated in the Shortcuts app. So um, Apple, of course, is pushing iMessage and messages as the best way to get in touch with people and your friends and you have Memoji and Animoji and all of that. But really, if you're a third-party messaging app and you do the work of supporting modern APIs and SiriKit and Shortcuts and all of this stuff, you will be on the same playing field as messages in, throughout different areas of the OS, which I think is really impressive. Yeah, that's great. And it is an extra encouragement for developers to adopt those APIs exactly. because it applies to several parts of the system. They're, they're getting a lot of benefits from doing that. So that's, that's great. Um, as far as the rest of the share sheet goes, the center row uh, is pretty much unchanged. You still see those same share extensions as usual. And the bottom area, which holds action extensions, has seen a lot of change. So it used to be that you saw a similar um, horizontally scrolling grid of icons uh, like the share row. The action row looked very similar in um, the way that you navigated it. And that is totally changed now in iPadOS where you have a list that scrolls vertically. And depending on, let's say, the, the device you're using and how much screen space there is, you'll see either one or two columns of different action extensions, which not only is their appearance different than before, but you also, for an app like Shortcuts, uh, which used to have a single action extension, which you would tap, and then you'll see all the different options for Shortcuts you could run from there. Now, those Shortcuts, depending on what you're sharing, will show up right there in the share sheet itself as individual action extensions. Um, so for me personally, I have enjoyed these changes. I, I think that they work really well, but I am one person and um, people disagree with me and that's fine. So Federico, can you tell me your thoughts about the new share sheet? So on principle, I understand the idea of putting shortcuts outside of a container putting all of your uh, shortcuts right there in the share sheet so that it's one tap less when you want to get to a specific shortcut. But I feel like there's a couple main problems that make this feature problematic for me. First one is design. Um, the fact that the share sheet, this, the bottom section, is now a monochrome area, monochrome list of text labels on the left and icons on the right with no differentiation between them in terms of color or in terms of weight of the font. It all looks like one long, bland, dull list to me. The, my eyes cannot parse that bottom section of the share sheet as quickly as they used to with the old share sheet design in iOS 12, which was a horizontal list where it was still monochrome, but the icons were bigger. And for me, I think a really important point of um, visual design in the share sheet is how close to each other an icon and a text label are. And because the text label in the new share sheet is on the left and the glyph is smaller, 
and all the way to the right, it means that my eyes are doing this constant dance of reading on the left, moving to the right to confirm the icon and associated action. And that slows me down a lot. And my second problem is that in the old share sheet, uh, with the shortcuts extension, I needed to tap on a shortcuts button first. That's true. That was inconvenient. But when I tapped on it, it opened a grid view that respected the order of the shortcuts that I uh, set in the shortcuts library. And most importantly, it respected the colors that I had associated to it with each shortcut. Just by tapping on the shortcuts icon, my eyes knew, even without having to necessarily focus on the grid, that the red button in the top left corner, that was my work shortcut. And that the blue button in the middle of the screen was my upload PDF to Trello shortcut. Um, the combination of a grid and color helped me run my shortcuts more quickly because it fed into my muscle memory and because it combined structure, which, is, which was the grid, with color to allow me to parse that grid in a fraction of a second. All of that is gone with the new share sheet. Sure, I don't need to tap on a shortcuts button first, but is it really faster if I then have to scan the list for five seconds before I can find what I'm looking for? And I guess this is the result of designing a feature for the, you know, for users who only have like three or four shortcuts. It's not the, it feels to me like it's not the kind of design that can scale to users who have 20 or 30 or 50 shortcuts uh, in the share sheet. And it's, again, it's a combination of, and, I, and initially, I should add, initially I thought maybe it's just the nature of change that I'm not used to this. Maybe it'll get better with the betas. But we're now at beta 4. I've been using iOS 13 and iPadOS for a month and a half. It's, it's, it hasn't gotten any better. It's only gotten worse. Um, I cannot find my shortcuts as quickly as before. And even with other app extensions, this goes beyond shortcuts. Even with other app extensions, it takes me longer than in iOS 12 to find them. Really, everything else about the share sheet is perfect uh, for me. The messaging suggestions are great. The visual separation between horizontal scrolling at the top, vertical scrolling at the bottom, that's great. I like that visual difference. But within the bottom section itself, I feel like everything looks the same and it takes me twice as long to visually scan through each line and I, I found myself wishing for the old share sheet design on more than one occasion, honestly, over the past month and a half. So uh, maybe there's a, there's a few ways that Apple could improve this. Maybe they should bring back color. Maybe they should make the icons bigger. Maybe they should just put the icon, the, the glyphs for each extension on the left right next to the text label, which could probably help with looking at the icon and reading the text label. I don't know. Uh, but it feels, everything feels slower to me and it takes me way longer than before to do what I could do in a couple of seconds in iOS 12. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, you've already named a few pretty simple suggestions for what Apple could do to fix those issues. And, and I do think those would fix the problems that you outlined. And 
you know, even though for me personally, those things haven't been a problem, I definitely see and agree with the fact that, you know, adding color, moving the icons to the left would be better overall. And mm -hmm. uh, those seem like pretty easy fixes. So hopefully we will see those change in a future beta, or if not, maybe not too long after iPadOS 13 comes out. All right, what's next on my list? Let me see. Uh, well, we were just um, talking about shortcuts, and I should mention that a really awesome change um, that maybe not enough folks are talking about because we haven't seen, of course, a lot of examples, is the new parameters feature in shortcuts for third-party apps. Um, in the new shortcuts app, which is now built into the system, and you know many of the changes in shortcuts this year are possible because Shortcuts app is now built into iOS and iPadOS. But with parameters, Apple has effectively built the Shortcuts API that I've been wishing for since the days of workflow. It is now possible for third-party developers to integrate with Shortcuts and to create actions that support input and output variables. Just like actions from Apple, they now have customizable fields where you can say, run this script in scriptable with this variable, or open this document in JSON with, you know, well, with this data that I'm passing to the action. They are not based on URL schemes. They are not based on X callback, for example. This is all native code, native actions based on the shortcuts framework, based on the shortcuts API, and they can run in the background. And you can choose, you can visually customize them. They can have toggles that you can flip on and off. They can have fields for variables or magic variables. You can easily run a shortcut with the contents of the clipboard, for example, or with the document that you've picked from files. Uh, Effectively, Apple is making third-party actions first-class citizens in the new Shortcuts app, which means that it's now finally possible to actually enhance the system with a third-party action. Because, I don't know, iPadOS does not provide you with um, a terminal-like shell, you know, command-line utility. A developer could probably just make a command-line utility, have it be sandboxed, and respect all of the system frameworks and limitations, but then they could offer some commands as shortcuts actions. And you could realistically, you could run command line programs from shortcuts as an action with parameters. It's wild. And I've seen some, I've been playing around with some early experiments. And of course, developers like uh, Simon Stovering, he makes a scriptable and JSON, or Anders Borum is the maker of Secure Shellfish. Uh, which you reviewed on Mac Stories, Ryan, and Working Copy, they are playing around with shortcuts and parameters in iOS 13, and I am super excited about this feature because it's it's all I ever wanted from Workflow and then shortcuts and third-party apps. It's, uh, it, it's exactly the kind of future for app automation that I've always wanted, to go beyond URL schemes, to go beyond having to encode text and all that kind of stuff and actually support input and output with variables, with parameters, with file objects, with images, with links, with all that you could think of, you can now do in shortcuts with third-party apps. And this seems like one of those features that, you know, as you're talking about it, I, I'm kind of getting it and understanding 
some of the possibilities that it will unlock. But I think it's one of those things that for me and for a lot of our listeners, they're going to have to wait to get some different shortcut examples that you build to really see for themselves what this is going to make possible. Because, you know, I I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I I don't have a coder's brain at all. And so, uh, you know, I've had a hard time getting excited about parameters. But once I start to see some tangible examples, I think that's going to change. Well, one example, I guess, that I could give you real quickly is uh, I'm testing a beta of drafts that has shortcuts and parameters in in iPadOS 13. Um, And something that that feature has enabled me to do is I can uh, query the contents of a drafts workspace. In this case, I have a workspace for my iOS 13 review. And with this new action, I can. there's a parameter that says query workspace. And the parameter lets me enter the name of a workspace. So I, I tapped into the, that field and I typed iOS 13 review. That action can ask drafts in the background, hey, give me all the files that belong to this workspace. And all those files are passed back to shortcuts. Drafts never launches. It never opens. It just runs in the background and says, sure, here you go. Here's uh, 10 text documents from this workspace. And so I was able to put together a shortcut that gets all of my notes from a specific workspace, backs them up to iCloud Drive, to Dropbox as individual separate files, then compiles them as a single MD file and also backs it up to Dropbox and iCloud Drive. All of this without ever launching drafts. It takes five seconds or 10, depending on my internet connection. And it, it's the kind of, it's an example of being able to integrate with a third-party app and say, here's the content that I'm looking for give me back files, documents, and it just works. Wow, that sounds great. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, okay, next thing that I want to mention. Uh, it's a small thing, but I've really been enjoying it. Uh, Apple Music in iPadOS 13 and iOS 13 offers time-synced lyrics. Mm. So if you tap the new lyrics button in the music app, then whenever lyrics are available, they kind of take up the whole screen in this really well-designed, just just beautiful-looking interface that will move the words along in sync with what's being sung. And I've appreciated this a lot because I am the type of person who, when I'm listening to music, I'm usually not really listening to lyrics um, my wife is completely different from me. She listens to a song for the first time and she knows exactly what, what the words are and everything. And, and I could listen to something 10 times and have no idea what the song's about because my focus is more on the music itself. But uh, having these time-synced lyrics has been a great way for me to follow along songs that I enjoy and learn what the lyrics are. And um, I, fi- I found that this has been especially nice if you are listening to music on your iPad and have the music app like in a split view with some other app that you're working in. So you can see the time-synced lyrics scroll along as you listen and you can kind of glance at it as you want to. But it's also just taking up a small portion of the screen and you can you know, keep doing what you're doing with the rest of it with your second app. 
Um, and it's just, it's very well designed. It's nice to look at. And I found it really helpful. Yeah, that feature is awesome. Um, I, I've been enjoying it myself. I, I've, been, I've been having fun. Uh, you know, they have lyrics for some Italian artists as well at this point. I'm really curious to, if we ever find out who the data provider is, if there is any third-party data provider. I've seen some people say Apple em uh, employees are filling in the lyrics themselves into the system. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but um, it's been working really well for me at this point. I've only seen a couple of mistakes in the... And again, that was for Italian songs, like a couple of inaccurate words... But otherwise, it's excellent. And I love how you can tap on a word to jump ahead to that portion of a song. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent detail. And I think Apple Music at this point is the only service that has it. Uh, Spotify doesn't have time sync lyrics, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. So it looks like we have one more thing we want to get to before you share how your iPad with no touching the display experiment oh, went. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about context menus? Uh, context menus are the follow-up, I guess, to pick and pop. They are the replacement for pick and pop in many parts of the system. Um, the bigger topic here is that it appears that 3D touch is going away in future uh, iPhones and of course iPads never had 3D Touch and with context menus, uh, Apple is now providing a solution to uh, enable features like quick actions on the home screen, or in general the same benefits of pick and pop and those modal floating previews for things like web pages or notes or map addresses that kind of stuff. Combining them with actual contextual menus, which you may be used to seeing on, on the Mac and desktop PCs. So, all, like big, big, uh, at a high level, a context menu is a preview with an associated menu, like options. Uh, the menu is similar to Quick Actions. It's a translucent, gray, floating menu with options. And the preview is a smaller version of Pick and Pop. Um, on iPhones that have 3D Touch, uh, 3D Touch may help in getting the context menu to appear more, more quickly, but otherwise a context menu simply appears by long pressing on content that may open a context menu. And if this sounds extremely generic, it's because it is. It's Apple wants to make sure that when you long press on a link or a photo or an address or a tweet, a note, a reminder, you should expect, if it's a piece of content that you can preview, that a context menu will open. And the preview will let you, again, will let you preview the content, of course, and the menu will allow you to perform actions like rename or duplicate or share. And the actions, of course, can be customized by developers. Developers can also include sub-menus. So you can open multiple layers of navigation within a context menu. You can have separators be between multiple options in the menu. Um, overall, I really like them, and I especially like how Apple was able to provide iPad users with an answer to the pick-and-pop preview system, um, even though the iPad does not have 3D Touch. 
There are some key differences, though, between pick and pop and context menus that I would like to point out. Because the, in, the, in, in iOS 12, pick and pop was primarily a preview. The menu was hidden by default. So the preview was bigger. And to see actions, you needed to swipe up while still holding on the screen to see related actions. In iPadOS 13 and iOS 13, the preview is smaller because the menu is always shown. You long press, the menu comes up, the preview comes up. This is fine on the iPhone. Uh, it makes sense that the preview is smaller because you got to show a menu. But on the iPad, I mean, you got plenty of space, but context menus still open these tiny, small previews in apps like Safari or Files or Mail. And I really don't understand why, why that's necessary, especially on a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, you got plenty of room to show a bigger preview, but they are still smaller. Um, so part of me sort of misses the bigger previews of Pick and Pop, but overall, I think context menus are a good decision, especially if 3D Touch is going away. Uh, they are a good enough replacement for the... And I've always been a fan of 3D Touch, I should say. I use Pick and Pop a lot on my phone. It's become second nature for me. But context menus are also good. They're good enough. Uh, in future iPhones, they're probably not going to be as fast as 3D Touch to come up because you're losing the pressure sensitivity inside of the display. But I've been using them on the iPad a lot. And I like where Apple is going. I think having more consistency around the idea of long pressing and expecting a menu and a preview to come up is a good idea. Yeah, I've really been enjoying the context menus myself. And it just seems like a great way to expose additional functionality inside of an app. Um, you know, certainly it's nice to have those you know, quick actions or what used to be called quick, action, quick actions on the iPad now and not just the iPhone. But inside of apps is where it's really been great for me. Just getting those additional options um, that you, you know, can't necessarily get through a menu bar like you'd have on the Mac, um, but now apps can expose those through context menus, and uh, I think it's a phenomenal new um, addition. Yeah. All right, so we have put it off long enough. I am really curious to hear, how did your challenge go this week? You were tasked with using the iPad for an entire day without touching the display. Did you do it? Well, first of all, I cheated because I didn't use it for a, for a whole day. Uh. It was more half a day. I'm sorry, I just didn't have the time. Uh, I, I, I needed to take advantage of my alone time to write the review as much as possible. So, I, I, you know, it was too important to get some serious writing done last week. Uh, I, I couldn't sacrifice a full day to not touching the iPad, I'm sorry. So I guess by saying that, you're saying that writing without touching the display and just using a mouse or something is not anywhere near as good as using the touchscreen, huh? Well, you could read into that if you want. I'm going to say that what I realized in doing this challenge is that I touch the screen, even though you, I can use a keyboard and I can use a mouse, some things are just easier if you touch the screen, if you just reach out and tap something, it's just more natural. 
Um, so here's what I've done for for a full afternoon with my iPad Pro. I sat down at my desk and connected the iPad Pro to my uh, 4K ultra-fine display with a USB-C cable, as I always do. But now, in iPadOS 13... And of course, I, I was using the iPad with the kickstand method that I described in my Beyond the Tablet story in May. Uh, so the iPad was propped up at an angle using the kickstands that I attached to the smart, to the smart keyboard folio. Um, I had a Magic Keyboard that was connected to the UltraFine. The UltraFine, besides being a display, is also a USB hub, because in the back of the UltraFine, I got three or four USB-C ports, and so without having to unpair the Magic Keyboard from the Mac Mini uh, via Bluetooth, I just sort of forced the connection with a wire by plugging a lightning cable into the Magic Keyboard, going to the back of the UltraFine, and because the UltraFine was connected to the iPad Pro, the iPad Pro was also seeing the Magic Keyboard. This is a nice sort of a life hack, uh, because otherwise I just want to use my Magic Keyboard with the Mac Mini. Sometimes I want to use it with my, with my iPad Pro, but I'm pairing via Bluetooth is a mess, and it's boring. So I just run a cable, and it's fine. Anyway, um, the big change for me in this setup this is the setup that I've been using for the past several months. But with iPadOS 13, I can now use a mouse. So a couple of months ago, I bought a Logitech MX um, Master 2S. You know, all these companies, they have the worst names. It's a, it's a mouse with a bunch of buttons. And it looks great, and it feels great. It's really ergonomic. It really helps with, you know, avoiding wrist pain and that kind of stuff. Um... And I started using my iPad, which was mirroring its UI to the ultrafine and controlling the UI, not on the iPad via touch, but with a mouse. And this was really the, my favorite part of the challenge. And I think it's also one of the features that a lot of folks are going to talk about this year for iPadOS 13. Mouse support is an accessibility feature, first and foremost. Apple enabled this feature to allow... Um, physically impaired users to control an iPad using the pointing device that they may already own, which is a mouse or a trackpad. This is, in fact, part of the assistive touch accessibility feature. you got to enable pointing device support under assistive touch. You can, you can customize the size of the cursor, which can now be smaller in the latest iOS, iPadOS 13 betas. You can customize the tracking speed. You can customize keys and all of that stuff. But I should say that first and foremost, this is an accessibility feature. That said, it's a really good way, even though its primary purpose was not to allow power users to control an iPad with a mouse. It really does work as advertised and really enables new use cases and new contexts for the, for the iPad Pro. Uh, the cursor is effectively a replacement for your finger, so you can scroll, you can tap, you can use drag and drop, you can open the app switcher, you can quote-unquote swipe from the edge of the display and open slide over, you can swipe up on the slide over tray to open the slide over app switcher, anything that you can do with a finger, you can do with a mouse in iPadOS 13. And that's what I've been doing with some enhancements and some customizations, of course. My mouse has 
one, two, three, five customizable buttons. All of these buttons can be associated with an action in settings. So because I wanted to take a few screenshots for you, Ryan, um, I first, I was trying to take a screenshot with my magic keyboard because I couldn't touch the screen. I guess I could have used the, the side button and the power button, but I was trying to not touch the iPad at all as much as possible. So what I did was I, I tried to do command shift three on the magic keyboard, but it was not working. So instead I associated the screenshot feature with a button of my mouse. And now when I click this button, it takes a screenshot of my iPad, which is really nice because it just takes a click and it takes a screenshot and it floats in the corner and it's done. Um, you may wonder, well, how do you activate mouse support on your iPad? Because if it's an assistive touch feature, does it mean that you got to leave assistive touch and the little floating dot enabled all the time? And the answer is no. Because in, in iPadOS 13, shortcuts can enable individual accessibility features on demand for you. And assistive touch is one of those features. So what I've done was I created a shortcut that asks me, do you wanna, do you wanna turn assistive touch on or off? When I say on, it enables assistive touch. But because the mouse is already turned on, it instantly connects to my iPad Pro the floating menu of assistive touch disappears because I've changed my settings to do so as soon as a mouse connects. And all I see is the cursor. And when I turn off assistive touch and I disconnect my mouse, the floating menu is gone. I don't see a floating home button on my screen. When I need a mouse again, I run the shortcut again. It's that easy and it really works well. So, in addition to taking screenshots, I assigned the buttons to showing the dock. Again, because I couldn't swipe, I uh, couldn't touch the screen. The one button opens the dock, another button goes back to the home screen, and if I double-click that button, which is the right button, what usually is a, the, the right-click button on a Mac, if I double-click that, double-clicking home means open the, open the app switcher. And of course, if I double-click on my mouse, it opens the app switcher on the iPad as well. Um, and, and I guess what I noticed was that some interactions were more difficult than I was expecting them to be. Um, things like swiping from the edge of the screen to open slide over. It's easy enough when you're using a finger because you can, you can physically reach to the edge of the screen and you can feel the edge and then you can swipe and you always open slide over. But with the mouse, you lose that physical connection between your hand and the bezel. So it's a little tricky to, and a little weird uh, to go to the edge of the screen with the mouse and then click, hold, and swipe. Uh, it's kind of weird. And it's sort of a, it's an example, I guess, of how the iOS interface, it's really not designed for external pointing devices yet. Once again, it's because the mouse right now is, is an accessibility feature. It's not meant to be the kind of mouse, the kind of external pointing device that you, you would think it should be coming from a Mac. Um, overall, I would say that using a mouse with, the, with my iPad, even though it was not perfect, and even though UIKit has no concept of things like hovering over a button 
or you know, moving the cursor quickly, all of those features that you're accustomed to on a Mac, they're not present in iPadOS yet. Still, it does enable me, it has enabled me to get work done for five hours in an afternoon without ever touching the screen. So it's not perfect. It's just an accessibility feature. It's not meant for you right now, but it gets the job done. So I'm really excited about this. So can I ask you a couple of questions here? Sure. I was having trouble imagining what multitasking would be like mm. using a mouse. Uh, you know, drag and drop to pick up an app from the dock and you know, drag it to the side and put it next to another app. It feels very natural using touch. How did that work with the mouse? I mean, it's kind of weird because you're not touching the screen and you're, you're swiping through these apps, but it works. And it's just a replacement for your finger. It's a simulation of your finger on screen. So everything works. You can, you can scroll the app switcher. You can pick up an, an icon from the dock and drag it while holding. So I have the left button on my mouse associated with a single tap. And, and of course, if you hold it, it becomes a long press. And so you can do drag and drop. And so you can, you can, you can take an icon, drag it to the side, and open slide over. Um, it's very weird because you're, the iOS interface is sort of screaming at you and saying, I'm not meant for this right now. But it works against all odds. It does work. The app switcher works fine. Slide over works fine. You can even... Uh, click and hold and then perform a swipe with the mouse uh, over the slide over home indicator and you cycle through apps in slide over. Everything works because again, the cursor is just simulating your finger on screen. That's all it does. So everything you can do with your finger, you can do with the mouse. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that it's that full featured and that even though it did feel weird, it still did what you needed it to do. Um, so let's say in your actual writing process, mm -hmm. uh, I know you mentioned that you, you couldn't really do this the whole day because you needed to make the most of your valuable writing time. But when you're in your writing app and you're working on an iOS review, it doesn't seem like you would, you know, you wouldn't be encountering many of the, the strange interactions like you know using the mouse to pull apps out of the dock or to do long presses things like that it seems like sitting in a writing app would maybe feel especially when you have the setup that you did with your you know external monitor and your mouse and keyboard it seems like my guess would be that it feels a lot like a mac at that point mm. would, would you say that that was your experience or no kind of because even though I'm not dealing with a lot of swipe gestures or opening the dock and, and doing multitasking, um, text selection, it's really different between the Mac and iOS uh, and, and iPadOS. And, and when you... It doesn't work like on a Mac uh, because what it's trying to do... Again, the system has no idea that there's a cursor that's hovering over a text field it just knows when you tap. When you click, it means you're tapping. And so you find yourself having to click to put the cursor um, 
it, I, it's really hard to describe, but when you do it in practice, you need to let go of the mental model of how text selection and all, all kinds of selections really work on a Mac and how they work on an iPad that's pretend, pretending to be a Mac with the cursor. So it, I found text selection to be a little clunky because it was not designed for a mouse. It was designed for a finger. And you're trying to use a, you know, a touch-first UI with a non-touch device. So you know, grabbing the selection handles, for example. Small UI elements that when you're using a finger, it works because iOS knows that you know, it, it should accommodate for you know, your sloppy gestures and, and your fingers. But when you're using a mouse and you go there and even though the, the cursor is a little too big compared to the Mac, and so you're like, well, am I really grabbing this selection handle or not? So it, it's tricky. And it's kind of weird, and you need to try it in practice because it's, you know, especially if you're used to how you know you you have a trackpad with your Mac, you have a mouse with your Mac. It feels like uh, it feels like this is supposed to work like on a Mac, but it doesn't, and so there's an adjustment period, I think. Yeah, that's good to know because I would have thought, uh, like you said, my my mental model would have been that okay, text selection is going to work just like it does on a Mac, because I now have a mouse attached. So why wouldn't it? Right. And uh, that's one of the things um, from my years using the Mac as my main computer to, you know, now I've been using the iPad for four years um, writing and specifically like text selection using a trackpad is one of the things that I miss most from the Mac. Uh, So, you know, I had it in my head that if, the way that Apple applied this accessibility feature made writing feel more Mac-like when you had, let's say, a mouse connected. Then I, I was planning to probably do that in the future. You know, write with a mouse attached so that I can mm-hmm. do text selection that way. So it's good to know that it doesn't work that way. I'm disappointed it doesn't work that way, but it also makes a lot of sense because, like you said, Apple needs to build something that that works perfectly for all different use cases and the best way to do that is just to map you know the existing ios systems and interactions and gestures to you know a pointing device and and that means that text selection works the same way it always has on mm-hmm. ios right it makes sense it's just a little disappointing too yeah um and and when when you see when you see what apple is doing here you realize i'm using a pointing device but the UI still behaves like a finger is covering the screen, even though it's not. And so you, you get these tiny differences. Like on a Mac, for example, when you select some text and you want to drag that text to, some, to someplace else, you don't have the animation that lifts up the text on screen and you know, gives it a little drop shadow. Uh, you can just select some text and drag it away. But on the on iPadOS, of course, the system needs to show you, oh, you're actually selecting and dragging text. So it becomes this little floating element that has a little shadow because we need to communicate you that you have a finger on screen, but underneath that finger, you're performing a drag and drop operation. When you have a mouse, you would think, well, this is going to work like on, a, like on a Mac, right? I should be able to just select text and drag it away. But no. Because the UI does not 
well, adapt to a mouse being connected, um, you need to select text, tap and hold, wait for the animation, and then drag the text away. So it just works like it would work with touch with a finger, even though you're not using a finger, you're using a pointing device. That is because, once again, this is not real cursor support. It's an accessibility feature that lets you use a cursor, which is a slightly different thing. Um, that being said, again, as I, as I mentioned, it totally enabled me to never touch the screen. Uh, you can even do things like uh, swipe down from the status bar to open notifications and swipe up from the bottom edge to unlock the device. So I just needed to look at my iPad and swipe up and it would unlock. Uh, it, it works really well. Uh, so there was a, you know, when you gave me this challenge, I knew that it was going to be solved uh, by using a mouse. And uh, I, was, I was right because it totally works. Oh, and I should also mention that I, you should go take a look in, if you have a mouse, you should go take a look in settings uh, to see all of the action, system actions that are associated with, that can be associated with mouse buttons. Um, I wish there were a little more choice. For example, I would like to see a open slide over built-in action. I would love to see expose as an action. All of those are not available at the moment as um, default pre-installed actions for mouse buttons. Also, in iPadOS 13, you can run a shortcut from the shortcuts app by pressing a mouse button. Now, this feature is not working yet. It's broken. It doesn't actually run a shortcut. But from what I've seen so far, it appears that when you press a mouse button that's been, that's been paired with a shortcut, the shortcut will run in the background and it'll show you a notification. Uh, so in theory, shortcuts that use a show result or series shortcuts from third-party apps, they will be able to run in the background and show you a visual confirmation inside of the... the it looks like a notification, but it's sort of expanded by default. Right now, it's just a blank cell with a spinner in the middle, and it does nothing, but it should be working soon. So... Well, that sounds like a good reason to commission someone to make a mouse that has about 50 different buttons on it. Exactly. <laughs> and what I'm thinking right now is like, once it starts working, I could, realistically, I could run, a sh I could press a button and run a shortcut that says, dim all my lights, open IA Writer, and start my timery timer for the writing project all by pressing a single button on my mouse. Isn't that incredible? Like, I love that. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but I mean, some of the other new things and shortcuts like support for NFC tags. So you could do that with an NFC tag, which I know you wrote about recently in our Club Mac Stories newsletter. Mm -hmm. Just there's so many possibilities. There's so much flexibility in how you can run shortcuts. It's, it's really exciting. So lastly, uh, I need to talk about voice because, of course, if I couldn't touch the screen, I already covered the mouse. The next obvious candidate for controlling the device was going to be voice. Um, there's two features that I tested. Uh, let me start with dictation. 
Um, never been a huge fan of dictation for two reasons. One, it doesn't really understand my accent well. Uh, as much as I think my accent has gotten better through the years in terms of not sounding as Italian as it did in 2013 when I first started podcasting, it's still there and, and dictation still gets confused by the way that I pronounce some words and expressions. Um, so that's always been a problem. The other problem is in, in normal life, I communicate with a weird mix of Italian and English because, um, and I feel kind of ashamed to say this, but I'm, I, I'm at the point where I'm forgetting Italian. Um, I really cannot speak Italian as well as I could 10 years ago. And I'm super honest here. I, I spend most of my days writing in English, sometimes thinking in English or talking and speaking in English to other people. I only communicate in Italian with my girlfriend at home, and she's often not at home, with my mom on the phone and with my friends when I see my friends. But really, the majority of my days are spent communicating and writing in English. And um, I'm at the point where, and my friends know this, my girlfriend know, knows this, my mom has learned to accept this. A typical sentence from me includes a couple of English words because I just cannot think of the Italian version anymore. It's a super weird problem to have, but it's sort of funny and people like it. Um, and it's just, it's so much easier for me because some expressions, they just come to me in English at this point. And so I just, you know, I combine English and Italian in the same sentence. Of course, that was a huge problem for dictation before because right? You could only do dictation in one language at a time. Uh, and that was impossible for me to use with my hybrid language. Now, in iPadOS 13 and iOS 13, dictation supports multiple languages. But from what I've seen so far, up until beta 4, you cannot intermix multiple languages within the same sentence. So, you can start a sentence and the system will automatically pick up whether you're talking in English or in Italian or in French or in Spanish. But you cannot, within the same sentence, say things like, let's say that you want to dictate this sentence. In Italian, wine is called vino. The last word, the Italian word, will not be picked up correctly by the system because the system says, oh, you're talking in English now, so let me transcribe English. So it's not like in the Google Assistant, I think, where in mid-sentence you can switch languages. You need to start, you can leave multiple languages enabled, you can start talking, and then iOS will say, that's Italian or that's English, and then it will continue with that setting. I don't know if Apple wants to enable mid-sentence language um, choosing at some point, I don't know, or is it going to be just like this, you know, a slight difference from Google Assistant where it just picks up the language that you're using at the start of the sentence or not? So I used this for to dictate a couple of sentences in English and it was fine, except for the usual mistakes in transcribing my accent. But I also tested this by sending my usual weird Italian-English message to my girlfriend and it couldn't pick up the 
mix of English and Italian within the same sentence. Does this make sense to you, Ryan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, hopefully that this is just like, you know, step one of supporting multiple languages and maybe next year they'll improve it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's too bad that it can't pick up both in the same sentence because I'm guessing that's a pretty common thing. Mm. Honestly, it could be a, it could, it could easily be a beta bug. Maybe it's supposed to behave like that. So if it changes in beta five, I'm going to be super happy. Um, uh, you know, even for simple things like you don't need to be a weirdo like me. Maybe you're just, you know, you're just speaking in Italian, but you want to say the, the name of a Netflix series, like orange is the new black. Italian is not going to pick it up, but if you have multiple languages support, the system will pick it up for you. So uh, you don't need to have the same problems that I have, uh, you know, for, for, sim- for intermixing English words or other languages' words in your common dictation phrases. Uh, finally, voice control. So this is the big new accessibility feature in iOS 13 and iPadOS 13. I tested it, and it's impressive when it works. What I mean by that is that, uh, first of all, accent is a problem. So um, many times I said, undo that, and the system understood, I'll do that. So I ended up with many instances of, I'll do that in my notes. Um, Initially, also, when I started testing voice control, I noticed that it would always pause and I would need to say wake up for voice control to become active again. And then I realized under uh, settings accessibility voice control, you need to disable attention awareness. Otherwise, as soon as you look away from your iPad, voice control goes to sleep and you need to say the wake up word. So I disabled um, because I was looking at the ultrafine, right? I was not looking at my iPad. I was looking at the external display. So once I disabled uh, attention awareness, uh, voice control never went to sleep again. Um, I, it's really impressive if an if an app supports uh, voiceover. So they have if they have accessibility labels, you can say things like "show me commands" or "show me the grid," and you will see all of these tooltips and regions of the UI on screen. It's really well done. Um, but it's also very clearly not the feature for me. This is a feature designed for folks who really need to be able to control their devices via voice because they have physical or motor impairments that prevent them from actually using a device. For me, it mostly felt like an experiment and I felt like I really couldn't you know, become an expert of it and because it feels like you need to learn a syntax, you need to learn all of the different ways to to phrase specific commands. And I was mostly fighting the system because I guess that I ultimately felt like I didn't need it, that it was just a challenge from my terrible co-host. It was not something that I absolutely needed to learn. It was just something that I needed to experiment with. And so I mostly grew frustrated with the need to learn a specific syntax. Even things like, I, I just, I didn't know how to move a character, uh, how to move, sorry, the cursor between characters. I kept saying, move the cursor, and it, and it kept typing, move the cursor <laughs> inside of the body of my note. 
So you need to, to give it the exact command that the system wants. And that to me felt like, you know, I just got to do a challenge here. I don't need to actually use voice control. So I use it for 10 minutes and then I went back to the mouse. And that's the extent of my challenge. Yeah, it, it definitely has a sharp learning curve. There's a lot of syntax you need to learn. And if you, I mean, I, I, I think if my memory serves me correctly, I need to roll back the tapes. But I think that in giving my challenge, I said that I didn't recommend using voice control. You did, you did. Okay, you did. okay. Just just had to get that out there since uh, you were, you know, defaming my my name a little bit no, there. I was not defaming. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's, you know, there's a variety of options. That's good to know for people who want to use their iPad differently, which, yeah, that, that seems to be um, a way that the iPad is growing and has grown over these last few years is that it is now much more than a tablet, just like your mm -hmm. story beyond the tablet explains. Um, and the ability to use a mouse, to use voice control um, and other methods to completely bypass the touch display uh, just demonstrates a lot of flexibility and just ways that the iPad has grown to serve more users and more needs. Yeah. So that's great. All right, so we're going to do some hashtag AskAdapt Q&A in the next episode. So uh, keep sending your questions on Twitter or via email, and we'll get to them in the next episode. It is now time for me to assign a challenge to Ryan. And I thought to try something different for you this time. Uh, Ryan, I would like you to optimize Apple Mail, or the default mail app on your iPad, to your needs and to your setup as much as possible, I want you to come back to me next episode with some good tips and tricks for mail and tell me how it went. Okay. Yeah, mm. sounds great. All right. I will do that. You know, a lot of folks complain about mail, but I feel like there's a few things that you can do to, you know, customize it. I don't know. Let me know how I yeah, guess. It, okay. Yeah, it'll be good kind of diving in and seeing what all is available there yeah. that maybe I wasn't aware of. All right, I will do that. And with that, this has been episode six of Adapt. Uh, for all the show notes for this episode, links to apps that we mentioned, uh, you can visit our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash six. Uh, if you want to follow us online, Federico's on Twitter and Instagram as at Vitici. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. -C -C -I. And you can find me on Twitter as at Iryan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And you will find us both writing at maxstories.net. Well, Federico, until next time, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye.